Welcome to the Wild and Free Podcast, Episode 61. I'm Ainsley Arment, and this week, Katrine Van Duren of Growing Wild Things shares a day in the life of mountain schooling on her farm in Italy. I think it's good for children also to grow up knowing that life isn't always easy. But I would like my children to know that we made it through and that you can do it. Because that is the kind of message that I want them to grow up with and not with, oh yeah, mom and dad had this dream and we lived on a farm and then one day they threw in the towel because mm-hmm. it got tough. Plus, our new content bundle called Plant is available for the month of April. We'll talk about what's inside in just a minute. So grab a cup of coffee and join us on the front porch. Let's get started. She is a gardener. She plants and waters, feeds and weeds. She is curious. She reads and learns and studies the science of growing things. She observes, explores, and experiments like a botanist, playing in her laboratory of living things. She notices the slightest change in color and condition of the soil. She loves the process, not just the result and it's made her an explorer of the world. She speaks to her plants, gently of course. One would never shout at a plant. What good would that do? They turn their faces toward the sun and dance in the breeze. The gardener has learned patience with time, her gentle teacher. Gardening, you see, is a practice in waiting. For nightfall, for the sunrise, for the harvest to come, through long winters and dry summers and fruitless crops altogether. The rains fall, the hail destroys, and the sun restores. Friends, we are more than the ones who gave birth to our babies. We are the gardeners of souls and the sowers of morrows. We are the holders of tears and the keepers of dreams. We are the whisperers of moon-dipped prayers and the protectors of ripening hearts. We are the gardeners planting seeds of intention and watering them with small acts of love and attention every single day. I see you, Mama. I see your calloused hands from long days of invisible work. I see your creased eyes from living and loving under a thousand suns. And I see your unspoken hopes like only another Mama could. The gardener is you. We'll hear from Katrine Van Duren in just a moment. But first, I wanted to tell you about our new content bundle, Plant, which is now available to Wild and Free members. This bundle is packed with articles, tutorials, exclusive podcasts, and stories that will encourage and equip you as you tend the garden of childhood. Whenever you subscribe to the content bundles, we give you access to the current month's bundle, the previous month's bundle, and send you a welcome kit in the mail that includes the first magazine in your monthly subscription. And when you subscribe for a whole year, we'll give you two months free. To take advantage of this offer, visit bewildandfree.org slash bundles. Katrine Van Duren is the real-life mama behind the Instagram account Growing Wild Things. 
She grew up in Belgium, but moved to northern Italy when she met her husband, Francesco. Now, over a decade later, they have three boys, including two school-aged twins, and make a conscious effort to build a slow, mindful life for themselves in close contact to nature. She recently sat down with Jennifer Pepito to talk about a day in the life of mountain schooling on her farm in Italy. Let's listen in. Um, Okay, so tell me a little bit about how you found Wild and Free and also after that about how you started homeschooling. Okay, so I remember starting this Instagram thing uh, a couple of years ago when I got my first smartphone. I think it was about three and a half years ago. And a friend told me that you could store your pictures in an app. And what I didn't realize at the time is that other people could actually see them, uh, which was, yeah, fun. Uh-huh. <laughs> and and then I noticed, you know, some people were using using the hashtag wild and free. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's that's I'll use that. That's us because we kind of just decided we just had moved into our home on the hill and we just decided to keep the boys out of kindergarten. And and so, you know, I, I used that hashtag. And then one day I, I got... Reposted. One of my pictures was reposted, and I noticed that the hashtag actually belonged to an organization, and that was wild and free. And it was about homeschooling. It was like, oh yeah, it just it all clicked. It really it was yeah. It that felt must like have been. I was telling someone earlier, like being here at the conference is almost like you know an adoptive child going out to find birth parents, and then you know really that connection point where they find a little bit more of their history. You know, mm-hmm. and for all of us, this is this really special time of connection with especially you as European homeschoolers but for you when you saw that wild and free hashtag it must have been very encouraging because you are homeschooling in a place there are not a lot of other families homeschooling no, no we're really uh, pretty much on our own we know one other couple uh, who are doing it they live 45 minutes away from us so they're not very close and they have older children but they have been an encouragement especially in the beginning you know to like you can do it and it's okay and they'll fall on their feet and but otherwise we're pretty much you know on our own and uh, I think especially for me as the homeschooler uh, my husband usually is is mostly out for work and I'm the one that really takes more care of of that part of Mm -hmm. the the family Um, and so it can be very isolating at times to be, you know, responsible for uh, the education of your children, and you know, you're just doing it on your own. And we inevitably have days that you think, "Oh my gosh, what am I doing? Like, I'm ruining my children, or I'm, 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 yeah, I'm ruining their future." Yeah, we all we all feel the same way. Yeah, <laughs> and then you know, you just. Uh, and then you meet all these people, like even though they might be on the other side of the globe and you might not ever end up really meeting them, not having the privilege to meet them in person, but they're doing the same thing and they have the same values. And, you know, on the hardest days, um, to know that there's people out there who share your values and, and, you know, who are crazy enough to do the same thing that you are doing. And and, and even, you know, now that I'm here... Uh, I've, I've met people who are like way further ahead in their journey who have adult children and children who are graduating and doing PhDs and it's, it's just really beautiful to watch that you know 
that those people look back and say, oh, yes, it's worth it. And, you know, on the worst days, it, that's the kind of stuff that you want to have in your luggage. Yes, you know? absolutely, it's the encouragement a, you need. So tell me a little bit about what does kind of keep you going on those worst days because you don't necessarily have a neighbor that you can say, oh, homeschooling is so hard today. I guess what really keeps us going on the hard days is our children. Like, obviously, they, they all make us crazy sometimes. And there's there's the really good days and the really fantastic days. And I think they kind of create a, a backup um, of where you can like get the energy of you know, showing up the next day, like after a really hard day. It's like, yeah, it's really amazing when you start to get these days and days and years and years under your belt, how much confidence it does build. So tell me a little bit about what a daily school day looks like, because you're in a country where you can't necessarily get resources in your own language mm -hmm. and you, you somewhat have to come up with this on your own. Mm -hmm. Just give us a couple of kind of highlights over a week of learning in your family. Okay, so usually what we do is we divide the day like roughly in morning and afternoon. And I usually, we tend to wake up really early because, you know, we're at a farm and my husband does the farming work before he goes to his off-farm job, which, is, you know, it's... He tries to get everything done before he leaves in the morning and then he gets back in the evening and does the rest of the farming job. And... If the weather is good, usually, you know, the kids are out with him when he's feeding the animals. And then by the time he goes away, it's like eight, uh, around eight o'clock. They come back inside and we'll try to start, you know, our school work. Um, and then usually just around lunchtime, we, we move to, you know, um, less formal you know kinds of learning because in Italy we do have to meet some requirements so you you have the children have to do an exam at the end of the year so I do have this uh, um, kind of yeah a little bit of pressure uh -huh. to, to meet certain milestones by the end of the year and so you know we try to kind of meet what they have to do uh, by doing a few hours of more like formal uh, schooling. And then, you know, by lunchtime, we kind of move to the more informal things like baking or crafting. And then typically the afternoons are just free to go and play and so, do whatever. Which is important too. Yeah, I think that's actually, I, I, I tend to believe that that's the most important part. Like, uh, And it's really the time that they're developing their imagination, you know, and that's why I love... Yeah. The power of you know reading aloud, and then you get these mm -hmm. stories in their head, and then they go act it out, and that's kind yeah. of how play goes. But in Italy, do you have a library that has a good selection of children's literature? Or how do you find um, the literature and the resources? I buy most of them because okay. you know the local library is like a little room on the second floor, and it's it's mostly discarded books that they get from people who are like, oh, I just want to clean out my library at home, and so but. Fortunately, books aren't too expensive in Italy, and uh, I get a lot of books from my mom as well. Um, like we gift or we get gifted a lot of books, um, and so usually uh, when it comes to children's books, uh, we read both in Italian and in Dutch, and we just get them ourselves. Okay, when when we lived in Mexico, we would get some of the discarded children's books from the school and it was a reader so then I could just read these stories to my children in Spanish are there resources like that like children like this public school resources that you can then 
at least have the literature? No, okay. I don't think they use a lot of like at least my boys are now in in first grade. Like we we are completing first grade, mm-hmm. and from what I've seen, they don't use much. They literature. don't store. They don't read stories. Not not in school. No. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. It's one of the main things we do. Yeah, like, yeah. Is that yeah. amazing? Because there's so much power that comes from just reading great books yeah. aloud to your children, and all the words are developed, and the imagination, and the vocabulary. And I just can't imagine exactly. a childhood without yeah. picture books. Yeah, it's our house is like full. We have we don't have enough space. Like I rotate the books, and but I don't know. I just. I'm a I'm an avid reader myself. Like I would already buy children's books before I had even decided that I wanted children right. because you know they they can be so beautiful. They're beautiful. And you know some of the stories are just you know are just amazing and usually our day ends with all the boys uh being read to by Francesco and then I put them in bed and then they want me we have this little ritual that we've been doing for uh, almost two years now um that I tell them, and it always begins the same way, that there's this bird who lands, and they can climb on his back. And the bird then flies away with them and takes them somewhere. And usually, you know, it's about, I tell them, they they can choose the country or the, the destination. And then, you know, I kind of make up what happens there. And then the last part is I, I drop them off there. Like, I, I leave them in some Indian palace and then I say you know and whatever's going to happen there is going to be your dreams for tonight and that's like the end of our days we'll be back with Katrine in just one moment imagine sitting down with the mother of young children and presenting two options for their education the first option has her kids sitting inside at desks for six hours a day They stare straight ahead with little to no interaction with the other children, while an adult teaches them as a group, asks an occasional question, and creates artificial experiences like textbooks, digital screens, and worksheets for them to learn about the real world. When they do go outside, it's for a quick 30-minute break on the playground, if they're lucky. The other option is to structure their school days to include music, reading, shared meals, and art projects. They go outside to play. The kids come in red-faced, happy, tired, and hungry. The mother makes lunch. They eat together. They talk about the adventure of the morning. They tell her about the fort they built or the mud pies they made. Oh, and the robin watching them from the fence. She wonders aloud whether it was standing guard because they were close to its nest. Maybe there were eggs. Did they know robin's eggs were blue? She pulls out the nature journals and the bird guides, and they spend a few minutes studying them. She suggests they draw something from the book, or whatever they'd like. The bird, the nest, the eggs, the day. On paper, it's not much of a choice, is it? Nature wins every time. Nature unlocks the imagination and inspires creativity in ways that a schoolroom never could. Artists and architects are inspired by the designs they see in nature. Poets describe its beauty in exquisite detail. Mathematicians find geometric patterns in natural phenomena, and scientists look to nature for answers to the mysteries of the universe. We see this truth in the work of Thoreau, Emerson, Frost, Whitman, Matisse, Gandhi, Pascal, Wright, Keats, Einstein. Nature is the best classroom we could ever hope for, and yet our educational system has determined that it should play no part in it. Every decision, 
From cutting recess to discouraging tag games and even running on the playground, shows our children that nature has no place in their education, let alone their free time. In an era when our lives are becoming more digitized by the day, our children need time to explore the natural world. They need contact with living things, fresh air in their lungs, and an understanding of what sustains them. Scott Sampson, the author of How to Raise a Wild Child, wrote, If children are to grow into healthy, well-adjusted adults, nature needs to be integral to their everyday lives, from place-based learning at school to unstructured, unsupervised, even risk-prone play around home. Nature isn't just a bunch of far-off plants, animals, and landscapes to learn about and visit once or twice a year. It's an environment to be immersed in daily. Somehow, we have been swindled into believing that nature is a preoccupation of the past, something to be enjoyed by woodsmen and explorers, rather than those who are blessed with the benefits of modern conveniences and progress. But nature is an essential tool for both our overall well-being and education today, especially for those who live in urban places where it is sparse. Jennifer Dees often writes about exploring nature in the city for wild and free. She lives in Los Angeles, where her search for nature takes her family under highway overpasses and along graffiti-covered canals. Jennifer wrote, It's so easy to think that if we only lived somewhere else, we would spend more time in nature study. Somewhere with more open space, more water, more trees, more trails. But we have to make ourselves actually do nature study no matter where we live. Each part of the country has a different kind of beauty and a different wealth of animals and plants. And that is the great challenge, isn't it? To incorporate nature into our homeschools when there isn't a national park close by and the weather is inclement. Still, it's entirely possible, even in small doses. We don't have to all live on a working farm, in an off-grid cabin, or in the Alaskan bush to give our children a nature-rich upbringing and education. The goal isn't 100% immersion in this lifestyle, but just enough of it. And that's something any parent can do. Susan Schaefer McCauley wrote, We all have limitations and problems, but I must never think of it as all or nothing. Perhaps I'd like to live in the country, but I don't. Well, maybe I can get the family to a park two times a week and out to the country once every two weeks. Maybe I have to send my child to a not-so-good school. Well, maybe we can read one or two good books together aloud. If you can't give them everything, give them something. That's it, then. If we can't give them everything, let's give them something. You can read more stories like that in the book, The Call of the Wild and Free. Now back to Katrine Van Duren. I, I couldn't... I couldn't imagine our days without stories. I mean, the first day they do when the first thing they do when they come out of bed in the morning is they throw themselves on the mattress in in the kitchen, and it's our big living room kitchen, and all around the mattress it's full of books. We have baskets full of books, and on the windowsill it's full of books. So what they do is they grab a book. So we literally. Get, like get out of bed with books and we get in bed with stories. So it's interesting because it sounds like your children are getting a much better education than children in the schools, but you didn't necessarily set out to homeschool because you wanted them to have a better education. Oh, I, I think it's very, 
I, I definitely don't want to judge. I think, you know, every kind of education certainly has its merits and everybody tries its best. And I mean, it's been very hard for us to feel that we were judged by the community for uh, not putting our children in school because it was it was assumed that it was like a criticism. A criticism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, and it wasn't. I mean, I'm not saying necessarily that the education that they're providing isn't uh, isn't adequate. It's it it's just something that was very different from what we felt was right for our children and this is just something that works for us and And one of the things i especially love about your lifestyle is the way that your children are getting a lot of hands-on learning about science and nature (laughs) and that's you know most school children are very disconnected from the land and their food and and you know so many wild and free kids at least get to go in a forest but your children are actually watching the cycle of life and seeing uh, an animal that's producing wool and just so many aspects of science mm-hmm. and nature. Tell me a little bit about how you are able to involve, because your husband's working a lot too, but you, it sounds like the boys get to be out there with the sheep and yeah. have, have a life involved with that farm. Yeah, they, oh yeah, they absolutely do. We, we have a small flock of sheep, so we just have a, uh, around 20. And so they're act- actually, when you walk out the front door, the barn is really in front of the house. So they're literally attached to the house. And, uh, and so they're, yeah, inevitably part of it. Like when there's lambs coming, the first thing they do in the morning is put their wellies on and run outside to see if the lambs come. And, and it's really interesting to see how they kind of, you know, it, it really, it really even surprises, you know, like life at the farm, it can look very romantic and it, it is sometimes, you know, it is beautiful when you have like little lambs in the field and, and it's absolutely wonderful to see those things and to witness those things. But sometimes it can be very hard as well and it can be, it can be dirty and it, it can be tough and it can be cruel. And I didn't grow up on a farm and both me and my husband, we were surprised to see how well, uh, the children deal also with the hard aspects of, of farming because we we lost a lamb for example last year and I cried for days and and they were sad but it had a place right and it was harder for me because I didn't grow up in it so I think I had to do a longer way back yeah to giving it a place in nature right they're developing there's a lot of character and grit and world Experience that they're developing yeah. through being being a part of an adult world in a way, yeah. but that most children were a part of up until maybe a hundred years ago. Yeah. So have there been you know moments that you felt like giving up on homeschooling or giving up on this kind of wild and free lifestyle with your farm and and what what helped you get back on get back on the horse? <laughs> yeah, except from the daily. <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, uh, yes, I think. Uh, we've gone through an, an episode, you know, um, living on a farm and having a single earner is can be quite challenging at times. And I think that has been really the only uh, aspect that has left us wondering sometimes if things wouldn't be easier um, if we put this, the kids in school and I would be working uh, working out as well. And And so, you know, it's been one of those conversations where you have to weigh like what is worse for your children you know being in school or growing up with very limited resources or what is like what is going to provide them with more um 
yeah, more security or what is going to make them stronger. And, you know, one of the things that really, you know, has helped me get back on my horse is, is saying, you know what, it's been hard, but like we don't hide it, that it, it is hard sometimes. They're sick, so they don't need to know all the specifics. But I think it's good for children also to grow up knowing that life isn't always easy. Mm-hmm. But I would like my children to know that we made it through and that you can do it. Because that is the kind of message that I want them to grow up with and not with, oh, yeah, mom and dad had this dream and we lived on a farm and then one day they threw in the towel because mm-hmm. it got tough. Right. So I think, yeah. That's really precious, especially you know when you think about what you're doing today and the impact of the legacy it could have. I mean, even even just in Italy, if there were more people who loved their land or who who cared about family or just the, the power that it has to sustain a culture and keep a, keep a country going when families actually care about their community, their land, their, their families. Mm-hmm. So bravo for being such a pioneer in, <laughs> in many, you. many ways. Thank you. And I'm really excited to hear you speak this afternoon. Thank you for sharing, Katrin. Thank you again for having me. Thanks, Katrine. Friends, don't forget that our new plant content bundle is live and waiting for you to pour through all of its goodness. There are tutorials that you can do with your kids for making recycled eggshell planters, macrame plant hangers, and a keyhole garden. There are how-tos for making a phenology wheel, a handcrafted nature abacus, and nature journaling and countless stories and articles that will touch your heart and embolden your spirit for this beautiful homeschool journey. To learn more, visit bewildandfree.org slash bundles. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but join us again next week for the Wild and Free podcast.